1: Hello and welcome to the Farm Traveler Podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams. And this is episode 169, where it's actually the second part in our series kind of on technology and new things that farmers are using. And we are specifically talking about a product called Sound Ag. So on today's episode, we are chatting with Casey Bryant, who is a third generation farmer in Ohio. Casey's family, they actually are farming on over 20,000 acres of crops like corn, soybeans, and winter wheat. So in our interview today, Casey and I are going to chat about why the family farm leases 100% of their land instead of actually owning it, how software has transformed data tracking with their business, and the benefits of working with local communities and offering tours around the farm. We'll also talk about how the farm is switching to a more regenerative practices like no-till and cover crops when possible but and here's something we know a lot of people outside of ag don't realize sometimes that's not going to work and so we're also going to talk about why a switch to full-on no-till across the farm isn't possible sometimes and coming full circle with sound ag's source product casey will explain how the farm started using it if they saw an increase in yield and how products like this are helping farmers do more with less so Check out Casey and their farm at the links below in the description, and I think this series has been kind of, you know, really fun to do. It's been a lot more planning than I anticipated, you know, trying to get a lot of people's schedules working, but I think I'm going to try to figure this out long term where we can do it maybe monthly or every couple of months, something like that. So I think it'll be fun. I think you will enjoy this episode. If you haven't already, go back and check out episode 168 last week's episode with Adam Lytle from Sound Ag to learn more about it. But enjoy this week's episode with Casey and thanks so much for listening. All right, well, Casey, Brian, welcome to the Farm Traveler podcast. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing good. So um, as we were just talking, this is kind of the second part of a series that we're doing, learning more about Sound Ag and how farmers are doing more with less. So kind of Way before we talk about that, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do on your family farm.
2: Yeah, so I'm a third generation and Brian Ag Enterprise. Um, We are located in Southwest Ohio. Hmm. Um, So our home farm is just right outside of Washington, Courthouse, Ohio. Um, I farm with my um, father, my uncle and my cousin. Um, my grandfather started our operation and we cover um, six counties and our annual commodities are corn, soybeans, and soft red winter wheat.
1: Six counties. That's a lot of acreage. Like how much acreage do y'all have?
2: Yeah. So um, we covered uh, just over a little, of tw- uh, over 20,000 acres Okay. Um, across the six different counties. The majority of our acres lie in Fayette County.
1: Mm-hmm. So are they all kind of in one big old... Like central location or are they kind of spread out?
2: Um, north to south um, from our most northern farm to our most southern farm, about 60 miles in between. And then east to west, about 45. So that's kind of like the geographical area that we...
1: Okay, gotcha. On. Yeah. So yeah, I've been interviewing people for like three years and it's cool to hear that sometimes all their all their farmland is in one location and then sometimes it's like so spread out. You kind of wonder like, how are you managing that much yeah. acreage in so <laughs> many different locations?
2: yeah. Yeah. So, um, I mean, in our area, we have, um, you know, it, within that that area, there's a lot of, um, like, operational boundaries. And mm. um, majority of our farms that we farm, um, actually, all of them, they're leased. Um, whether The majority are from outside, you know, non-family leases. Um, so, we use a lot of data. Um, we use Granular as our farm software management program um, that we utilize. So, it's been Wonderful as we've um, grown an acre base um, and added people and equipment to um, to our staff to be able to manage um, farms that are, you know, not right out, out our back door as if they were.
1: That's awesome. What's, what's the percentage that you guys farm versus you lease? Like, how, what's the percentage there?
2: So, Brian Ag leases 100% of their acres. Okay. Um, so some of that um, would, you know, is my, essentially like my grandparents' ground um, or other family members, but Brian Ag actually doesn't own um, any ground. So 100% is leased, whether it's from family members or um, outside investors.
1: So what's kind of the main reason where, why a farmer like you guys would lease instead of own the land? Because I mean, obviously there's a lot of land, that's a lot of money. So what's kind of the, the advantages of leasing the land versus owning it all?
2: I, I mean, obviously owning ground is a large um, capital investment. Um, I think it. when my father came uh, back to the operation um, in the early 90s, him and my mother um, moved to Kentucky and worked for um, another farmer there when they returned home, um, they decided my grandfather, my uncle, my father just felt like they all offered something a little bit different and mm-hmm. um, and it was more beneficial for them to farm together rather than to farm as three separate entities. And um, at that time, but they knew in order to support, you know, three separate families um, that they needed to grow their acre base. And and so at that time, um, they weren't at, in a situation to um, grow their acre base as far with purchasing land. Um, mm-hmm. So they started to work with local landowners or um, farm management groups um, in, in order to do so. And um, essentially, we, we just try to treat any landowner as if it's the farm, um, as if it's our own. Um, you know, they're the most vital part of our operation and, and we feel very, very blessed to have the opportunity to farm for them. Um, and understand the value and um, continuing to give back to um, the fertility of the soil or um, to maintain uh, the soil structure um, as if it was our own. And um, so we've just kind of taken that mindset and uh, not really to treat whether it's own ground or ground that we're, we're leasing um, any different as if it was, was family ground
1: okay that's awesome and like before you before you guys like lease any land like what all goes into that research process like how do you go and kind of evaluate hey this is some some good soil we should definitely do this or maybe this isn't some good soil on this one lease we shouldn't do it so what all goes into that kind of evaluation
2: yeah uh there's a lot i mean obviously (laughs) we want to sit down and talk with the land partners and explain our our operation and um What we do and what our our core values are Mm -hmm. um, and make sure that, you know, we can offer them what they're they're wanting out of a lease. Um, There's a lot of numbers that a lot of analysis just from a financial standpoint that will go into um, what we feel like the farm can support or raise. Um, and, um, it's a pretty open conversation. We're very transparent with our land partners, you know, it's their property and we want to be able to provide them information of everything that we're doing on the farm. So, we do, um, like I mentioned earlier, we use granular um, ag, the software management program, and everything is traced um, from roadside ditch mowing to any piece of equipment that is on the farm. We track you know, what the piece of equipment was, who the employee um, was in that piece of equipment, how long they were on the farm, and the inputs that were applied. Um, so we want to make sure that we're providing that landowner information, um, but also that we're able to trace um, you know every bushel back to to what seed variety it was, how that that um, that plot of ground was treated, um, what the yield was, where it was stored, and then also all the way to the delivery point.
1: So that's I mean that's a lot of stuff you're tracking, and you brought it up like I think this is really cool. Why exactly would you want to track mowing by the highway? Like why is that something that an operation your size would want to have data on?
2: Um one. You know, for the land partner, especially for the ones that aren't local, Mm -hmm. um, just because we want to make sure that we're maintaining their property and that property, you know, a lot of times goes all the way to to the road. Um, So not are we only just farming the farm and taking care of the tillable acres, but we want to make sure that we're maintaining all aspects of the property. Um, Secondly, from from a budgetary standpoint, um, tracking the efficiencies Mm -hmm. of um, our I don't want to say our employees, but just every practice that we're doing um, and making sure that when I'm forecasting out that I'm, you know, projecting correctly all the way down to the amount of fuels that our zero turn mowers are using annually.
1: Gotcha. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, fuel's not cheap, whether it's for a big tractor or for a lawnmower, like you got to track all that stuff. So it's cool that you've got that software tool where you can track pretty much everything on your operation. Yes. (laughs)
2: Yes. <laughs> it's a lot, but we do it.
1: <laughs> I bet. Uh, w- when did you make that shift? I mean, has that been there for a while as opposed to like tracking everything on you know, uh, old school notepad or Excel, which I know has been done in the past?
2: Yeah. So in 2016, we um, started beta testing with um, Granular. And um, at the time, we've kind of grown with the software management program. Um, mm-hmm. And I-, I think it's more vital that mm-hmm. we... Um, have the traceability that we do today just because as our operation has grown, um, you know, I can't be in all aspects of it. My cousin can't be in all aspects of it. So we've had to shift, um, you know, our management practices to other people within our organization that we trust, Mm -hmm. Um, but it gives me the ability to um, make high level decisions, or like I said, to forecast, forward, um, and look at our areas of strength, our areas of weakness, where I think that we need to fine tune, um, to be able to give budgets to people that are in management positions as we move forward. Um, and so even though maybe we didn't track the fine detail that we do today, you know, five, 10 years ago, um, also, I think we were covering a smaller acre base and my father and my uncle, um, you know, had all this information in their mind because they were the one, that were doing it, or at least if they weren't directly doing it, they were part of it. Mm -hmm. Whereas today, you know, I like to explain, you know, I did just come from planting wheat, but I'm not out in the field a lot. And so a lot of what I'm doing is behind a, um, you know, behind a computer screen um, managing this from, from a high level, but I have to have access to information to be able to do a good job at it.
1: I bet. I mean, there's so much stuff going on, especially when you guys have over 20,000 acres, so many employees. I mean, how many employees do y'all have right now?
2: Um, So we have 34 people that report to work every day, including ourselves.
1: Okay. Yeah, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of acreage. That's a lot of equipment. And that's also a lot of money that you've got to track. I mean, farming is not easy. So it's good that you guys are using that. And I mean, you're staying on top of it all, which I'm sure you absolutely have to.
2: Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, my favorite question is, is when I have um, people that are not within the production ag industry, um, when we're not in planting or harvest season, when they ask, what do you do this time of year? Um, and actually our, when we're out of our busy seasons is typically when um, I'm my busiest, just Mm. preparing for the next season or preparing for the, the following year. So there's not really a slow time around here anymore.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I bet not. Yeah. And kind of going off of that kind of talk, talk us through kind of your farming practices. Like what does the year look like starting in January up until the time, like you plant, then you harvest, then you're of getting ready for the winter so tell us kind of what that whole process looks like i know it's very complicated so i mean just kind of tell us like the basics i guess
2: yeah so i'm actually going to start with harvest season just because um we kind of kick off our following year um, at that time frame so basically um, right now currently we're running corn and soybeans Hmm. Um, we're also planting our soft red winter wheat uh, spreading dry fertilizer and completing uh, fall spray applications um, on all of our fields that we will be going to corn or soy um, we're also completing any of our fall tillage practices. Um, a lot of those tillage practices, um, we are trying to move more towards a regenerative, um, uh, mindset, mm, um, exactly. but in our area, we do receive very, our weather patterns have changed a lot and we receive this about the same annual, um, rainfall, but those rains have just come, um more sporadically and in larger amounts. Um, So it's nothing for us to have like a four inch rainfall at one time. Um, So with that being said, um, I don't think we're to the point because all of the farms that we farm are not systematically tiled, but um, a lot of the farms that are have allowed us to switch to more of a no-till practice. Um, we've transitioned a lot of farms to where we're only working one time a year instead of two times a year. Um, So that's something that we're still researching and working towards um, and just kind of taking a slow or a smaller amount of acre base each year and converting, um, to re- reduce tillage practice or no till. So a lot of that's going on right now. Um, once harvest is over, we'll start preparing, um, equipment f- throughout the winter months for planting. Um, and then also we have, um, 10 trucks on the road every day that are either hauling grain, um, to our bins or from our bins to a customer, as well as we do have a bulk, um, liquid storage, um, Facility here on site, and we will haul um, liquid nitrogen, so twenty pr- from the river in Cincinnati up um, to our storage. We'll and also in the um, late March we'll start top dressing wheat, so we we grow a significant amount of wheat. So we'll start doing that and tendering to the sprayers. Um, we top dress wheat twice, uh, then we'll go directly into um, our burn down applications on all of our um, soybean fields. Um, we'll start planting corn and soybeans around the same amount of time. Now, um, we're posting those, obviously spraying all those fields as well. Um, and then that takes us into wheat harvest, which usually starts the end of June. We try to finish by the middle of July. Um, we'll be planting double crop beans directly behind our wheat harvest, um, through the end of July. And then, um, at the same time, we'll be completing fungicide applications on, um, Corn and depending on what we see in our soybean fields, we'll scout those and, and do some soybean fields as well. Um, that's typically um, leaves us about a month and then we'll kick off harvest um, <laughs> in the middle of September and we start all over again.
1: <laughs> so just a little bit break in there between all the action. <laughs> that's awesome. And so, I mean, that's a lot going on and you kind of alluded to this earlier, but I haven't really thought about it. Um, you said that you guys are slowly switching to like a couple of regenerative practices and you mentioned them kind of like no-till and stuff like that. But I mean, I haven't really thought about this. How huge of an impact is weather when you're trying to switch to those practices? Because I mean, like every year the weather is going to be a little bit different. Or even if you're trying to switch, um, during certain times of the year, like how hard is that to switch when you've got to constantly worry about the weather?
2: Yeah, I think it's hard because we, we, how I always try to explain it is like we do a lot of testing on our farm, mm-hmm. um, but the hard part is is you only get to test you know things one time a year, um, and then you try to replicate the test you know maybe in a couple of different fields, but every field you have a different soil pattern and you even receive different weather in different areas every single year. So it's not like you have can control a lot of the variables, um, and then. You know, once we complete a test and we feel pretty confident, we may increase the acres that we're doing it on. But then the next year, you can have a completely different um, spring than you did the year before or growing season. Um, so we complete a lot of three-year tests. And when it comes to the regenerative practices, um, we've tried to slowly work into them just with a mindset of, um, we do want to be successful at this. And um we know that a lot of it is going to challenge our workflow hmm. and making sure that before we, you know, we, we know that it's not, we can't go completely no-till in our area because, you know, we receive a lot of rainfall in the spring, which is wonderful. We're very blessed to be in an area where we don't, um, we, we have a great annual rainfall, but at the same time, you know, sometimes water being having too much water is an issue. So tillage is a way for us to air out the soil and make sure that we get the crop planted in time. Um, so we've had to really look at, you know, what farms we think can support those and transition those first and then have conversations long-term, you know, is how could we become hundred percent no tiller? Maybe that's not a goal that we feel that we can reach. So like, how can we reduce our tillage practices mm-hmm. um, versus like, you know, going completely no-till. Same thing with cover crops. We've been working with cover crops and different species of cover crops. We are um, heavy. Um, Like I said, we do grow a lot of wheat for our area. So um, looking at farms that we feel like um, could benefit from um, an organic matter standpoint, or maybe just having the additional root structure standpoint um, and placing those um, um, on the fields where, where we feel like they would be most beneficial. From a time constraint standpoint, we have our drills that are covering a lot of acres of wheat um, and making sure that we can also get the cover crop planted where it's actually gonna be beneficial. So a lot of it's like a workflow standpoint and making mm-hmm. sure that we can, all, we can get it done in a timely fashion um, and, and doing it in a way where we know it's gonna benefit that farm um, as well as our, our operation.
1: You know, that's a very interesting point that you brought up. And I feel like a lot of people outside of AG don't understand that. Like they want all farms to be regenerative, like you guys are switching to, but sometimes on certain acreage, it's not going to be realistic. Like you were saying, like you're trying to figure out kind of the perfect balance between being no till where you can and then reducing tillage where you can. Like I think there's got to be a lot of give and take. Like it's not just black and white. Like you guys seem like you're you're doing the science, you're doing the research, you're trying to figure out what is realistic and what's not so i think that's really key that people find out
2: yes yeah and that's the thing this is um i think that you know farmers know their land best and at the end of the mm-hmm. day we're most uh, you know we're directly affected by the way that our soils produce um when from not only from like an income standpoint But also, um, you know, a lot of this is, you know, this is our livelihood and and also we're very emotionally attached to the land. So whether a farmer is tilling or not tilling, um, I, I don't necessarily think that farmers that choose to do no till or choose to use cover crops are you know, better farmers than the ones that don't. I think that it just goes back to, you know, asking the questions of why do we do the things that we do? And like, I'll use my farm as an example. We do, we have a lot of different practices, but it all goes back to what we feel that that farm can support. Mm -hmm. So we have farms that are no-till that, you know, are systematically tiled and they've been no-till for a really long time and they produce very well. And then we have farms that lay very wet. they, They don't have any tile in the farm. Um, and you know they wouldn't support that, and we still have to make sure that we're growing a crop and we're feeding the world and we're providing fuel and fiber for the world. So I just think it's like trusting that you know that farmer has the best interest for their soils and their farms, um, and that there's you know there's multiple ways to be a successful successful farmer.
1: Now that is an absolute perfect segue to this whole series and talking about sound ag. So last week, like we mentioned earlier, we talked with Alan Lytle about Sound Ag and their source product, which is really helping farmers do more with less. It's helping them reduce um, fertilizer usage and stuff like that. So when it comes to that product and Sound Ag, like when did you guys first learn about them and what was that whole process where you thought about it, you considered it, and then you started using it?
2: Yeah, so three years ago, I heard about the product um, and we kind of have a rule of thumb on our operation. We trial things for three years before... Um, putting them across mass acres um, to try to get them on different soil types and hit a couple different weather patterns um, to make sure that the return on the investment is positive. Um, And so we actually put the the source product out on just a a split field trial is typically how we like to start a lot of our trials um, and saw really positive impact. So We just used it as an addition to our um, farm standard program. We didn't cut any nitrogen. Um, And we saw an increase in yield. Um, So the following year of 2021, we applied it um, to an additional, we increased the acres that we were using it on as um, just an additive to our farm standard program. Um, And then we did one trial where we did cut uh, nitrogen back. Um, and again, we saw, um, an increase in yield, um, on the, the acres that we didn't do anything on, um, last year was probably one of our strongest growing seasons. And so what really intrigued me was, um, we didn't see a win rate that was as high as year one, but we still saw a positive impact and we had like our most ideal growing conditions ever. <laughs> um, and so the fact that it still had a positive impact was really big, like was a trigger to me like, oh, you know, this product really works. Um, because a lot of times we won't see products, um, you know, they might just like break even um, on a year where you have like perfect weather conditions, perfect growing conditions, because, you know, corn can grow if it's given, you know, the sunlight and the water that it needs. Um, so this year we actually, you um, increase the acres that we were utilizing the product on again Um, and we did um, do um, about 360 acres um, in their nitrogen reduction um, program where we're trialing uh, different uh, amounts of nitrogen that we can reduce by I don't obviously we're just in the middle of harvest so I don't have we're not even halfway done Um, a lot of data so I can't speak on it today but I'm Hmm. excited for all that to start rolling in
1: yeah, that's so cool. And I mean, even like we were talking earlier about your granular software, were you able to track all of that? Like how it was impacting and how it was helping you reduce um, nitrogen fertilizers and also like kind of tracking the yield?
2: Yeah, so we, um, with granular, um it's not necessary. We're getting the information. So like where the product is placed, Mm -hmm. Um, that's how we're we're tracking it from the field. And then we actually use, um, my John Deere to be able to go in and look at the actual infield data. Um, I have somebody on staff, um, who is like our data analyst, um, he used to be an operator. He's moved. Um, we we always left to the other side of the wall in the office with, (laughs) with, um, my team in here. Um, and, Basically, as we're harvesting, um, he has a list of fields that we have any types of plots in, so um, source being one of them. And as we go across those fields, we're cutting the data running side by sides from the combines and, um, in field, um, also taking samples and looking at the, the quality of the grain coming off the field and test weight and things like that. So, um, we're, we're pretty real time, which kind of allows me, um, to make purchasing decisions to try to hit some of those, um, early order deadlines, mm-hmm. um, and also, you know, make decisions for the 2023
1: crop year. Okay. And so what all does the application process look like for y'all whenever you're putting the source product in there? And then kind of, I guess it's kind of a two-part question. Like how long can you go between applications before maybe you need to do another application? Or maybe is it just kind of long-term? Like what does that look like?
2: Yeah. So it's just a one pass application. Um, there's a pretty long window that you can apply it on. Mm -hmm. So I believe it's, um, V four to V six. And then again, um, at Tassel. So we actually put it in with our fungicide application, which is one reason why I really liked the product. Um, is because we weren't having to make an additional pass across the field. Um, we could either put it in with our post application or during fungicide. Um, and so we chose to do it during the fungicide application. Um, and, yeah, so it's not, like, an additional cost as far as, like, our sprayer going across the field again.
1: Yeah, that's perfect. And I mean, would you see, do you think that you could see any additional benefits if you sprayed it, harvested, and then just planted again without spraying it? Do you think you would see some yield increases there without applying it a second time? Um,
2: as far as, like, if there's remnants of the product? Yeah,
1: yeah, if, if there's any remnants left over in the soil.
2: Um, I haven't ran any, any of that yet so far to see if where we had the product placed last year mm. um, if we've seen any benefit this year but that's something that we could check into
1: yeah i mean that'd be cool i don't know i don't know if we talked to adam about see how that would work but it would be cool if i don't know in the future it's like a one-time application and then it works for i don't know five or six or maybe 10 growing seasons. that'd be pretty cool i'm yeah. sure the cost <laughs> would go up but that would be pretty neat <laughs> that's awesome and so I mean, have you been telling, like, other farmers about this or maybe just consumers that you guys are doing this that's kind of helping you reduce um, your nitrogen usage? And also, like, this is really helping you be more regenerative. Like, you're using less inputs, and that's not something that a lot of people would think would be a great example of that.
2: Yeah, so I, um, you know, we're pretty transparent about as far as practices that we're doing on farm. Um, But like I said earlier, we really try to... um, Be make sure that the data that we're collecting is good data. Um, So I've been pretty open to other people in our area, other farmers, when they've heard that we're using the product. Just like I mentioned earlier to you, you know, the first year we just did a small acre base last year was the first year that we um, cut any nitrogen and we did see a positive result. Um, And I'm still waiting for my data, you know, this year. so we're very happy with the product, very happy with the team at Sound, um, and I, I'm excited to s- once we get the third year under our belt to, to see having three years of data, I think um, you know, every year that we add to that portfolio um, and the information that we have and kind of we can see what that growing season would like, I think it makes me more um, excited or more bought into the product um, every year that we utilize it.
1: Yeah, that's cool. I I think, the I don't know, the more data you have, you can really look at it and see kind of like the big time impacts that it had or maybe didn't have. So I think that's cool. I think, I mean, I, I'm excited. I just learned about this product like a few weeks ago. So I'm excited to see where it goes, more farmers that use it. So we'll definitely have to keep in touch and kind of see how it goes from there. But kind of moving along a little bit, um, are there any kind of like direct-to-consumer products or even agritourism that you guys have at the farm? I kind of know the answer, but are there any opportunities for that that you guys might have?
2: Um, as far as what we're doing today, yeah. Um, so we do we grow um, a lot of non GMO non GMO soybeans mm-hmm. um, that go directly to um, a local consumer here. Um, so that's something that um, would probably be our most traceable crop, as far as um, you know, knowing the end user. I don't know how much I'm allowed to speak on that, Uh, but but I would say that that's probably like our most traceable where I I actually know exactly where it ends up. Mm -hmm. Um, We also deliver a lot of our corn. To um, our a cargo that's um, located here locally, that's right next to an ethanol plant. So majority of our corn does go to ethanol. We can kind of see that process full full circle. Um, We have started working with. um, We do have a local dairy that we've been delivering wheat to, so that's really exciting. um, Just to see you know direct to like animal consumption, which we know that a lot of our uh, what we're growing is going to animal consumption, but it's a local dairy here. Um, And then finally, there's actually um, another local. uh, distillery that we're starting to deliver um, wheat to that I'm really excited about. Um, I also don't know how much I can speak on <laughs> that. Some of this I have to be like, I'm like, I don't know about
0: like yeah. different
2: <laughs> things, but um, a lot of that um, the the alcohol that they produce um, is sold here in Ohio, um, and then also there. Um, I know that some of it does go to some. Um, some ice cream sources as far as like bourbon, praline ice cream and things like that. So uh, we, you know, typically if we were wound um, a couple years ago, um, a lot of ours were just going to like the big companies. Um, We didn't, you know, you had an idea of like what products it was ending up to, but we do have um, now within the last uh, five to six years, we're starting to go more direct to end user. Um, I think that's really valuable, especially because of the traceability that we can offer with our crops as far as like knowing exactly what happened at every single from the time that the seed arrives to the time that it's harvested, what bin it was stored into, what truck it goes on to be delivered to. Um, So I'm hoping that more opportunities like that present themselves Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. just to have like the full circle of the crop that's produced.
1: Yeah, I mean. What kind of made you guys do that? Was that kind of like a, a COVID thing? Because I've heard so many stories where that was really like COVID really, really made people do that as a means of like surviving. So was that kind of any inspiration behind that?
2: Um, not really. For we we've kind of started to work um, as far as trying to deliver direct to end user. You know, we're really lucky that we have. Um, the, the non-GMO, um, com- the, the soybean company that's here at Close, that's been around mm-hmm. for a while we have a really great relationship with them and we love growing for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, that's just a, a product of, uh, where we're located. Um, and some of the other, um, you know, direct to end users, um, that were, you know, I would say that COVID definitely had an effect as far as, um, just, just networking and them needing their product. I think more of it is some of that I have mentioned um, is the capability that we have, because we do have 10 trucks um, on the road every day. My brother-in-law is actually our logistics manager Hmm. um, and we have the capability to deliver, um, you know, not during elevator hours. So whether it's a Saturday or Sunday, um, very specific time slots. When we start to work with some of these direct end users, it's like, you know, they don't have elevator hours where it's Monday through Friday, eight to five or whatever it is, you know, they might need a load. They have to, you know, feed their, their dairy It's you know at this time. So they need a load of wheat on Saturday at two o'clock. So it's very, it's like time slotted deliveries. Um, so until we restructured and got to the point where we are today, that was something that we just really weren't able to do efficiently. And now we're just structured at a point where we can kind of pursue some of these relationships Because um, we have a complete separate trucking department from our operations team.
1: That's awesome. I mean, that's something I haven't really thought about either, kind of the logistics of it all. Like, I'm sure a lot of farms out there, they want to support, like, you know, smaller companies around them, but the logistics of it, getting the product there, scheduling it all, it's a nightmare. And so that's cool that you guys finally had that opportunity to kind of make that work. Yes. Yes. That's awesome. And so, I know that agritourism is kind of a huge thing that's slowly been blowing up thanks to COVID. And so what advice would you give for anybody that was, I don't know if they're outside of ag and they want to find a farm and tour it, like maybe they're in Ohio and then maybe they're near you guys. What advice would you give for them to find farmers, find farms in their area to go and tour and to see what's going on?
2: Yeah. So I can only speak for ourselves, but we love visitors and we love to show what we do. Um, to anybody, but especially to maybe somebody, um, that doesn't come from a farm just because I think it's a production ag. um, whether it's on farm or working with a company that supports farmers. Um, there's a huge opportunity for a lot of really cool jobs, um, for somebody that didn't necessarily grow up around agriculture. Um, and I think that starts with learning about the farmers that you're supporting and, um, I love to take the opportunity to bring people on the farm and just show them everything that we do. I mean, everybody eats and everybody wears clothes and most people drive cars and, you know, it all starts with, with the farmer. And I, I don't, it's, it's a career that is very rewarding. It's very challenging. um, And you're constantly problem solving, um, but it's made up with a lot of people all across the world um, that are some of the most humble and hardworking people that I know. And I feel very blessed to get to work alongside them, whether it's directly here at Brian Ag or just within the industry. So if anybody's in Ohio and wants to come visit us, I would love to take them around and show them and meet the rest of my team. Um, and most of the time, I think any other farm um, would do the the exact same.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. And I think it's been so cool to kind of see how people are wanting to get out more. They're wanting to see how their food's made. They're wanting to tour farms like you guys. And I mean, it seems like most farms out there are like, yeah, absolutely. Please come tour. Please come see what's going on. We want to show you. And so it's great that, I don't know, both the farmer and the consumer are, are like so willing to connect and share and just kind of see what's going on there. So that's awesome. Now, if people are in Ohio, um, if they want to visit your social media handles, like where can they go to find out what you're doing, get in contact yep. with you, and all that good stuff.
2: Yeah, so we have a Facebook page um, as well as an Instagram that um, where we post a lot on. So those that that's two ways to follow us. We also have a website Brianac.com that just um, is more of um, you know just the history of our farm, where we're located, um, who you know who the members of our staff are. So um, Facebook, you can find us on Facebook or Instagram um, to kind of keep track of what's going on.
1: That's awesome. Well, Casey, this has been so fun learning about you guys. Um, I'm super excited to kind of follow your story with um, Sound Ag and their source product and kind of how that goes. So seriously, thank you so much for telling us how that goes, because I think it's so cool to kind of learn about that technology, but also learn it from the end user and see how it's actually impacting you guys and helping you do more with less. So I hope you all continue to have success with it.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Farm Traveler podcast. If you liked what you listened to, consider subscribing wherever you're listening to your podcast at, whether that is Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google. Um, I think Good Pods is another really popular app. So wherever it is, consider subscribing. And of course, consider sharing with a friend or family member. Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week.